Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Uh, this is the first in a series of conversations on the subject of citizen equity participation in projects uh, in the extractives. I'm pleased to say today I have uh, a seasoned uh, executive of the mining industry, a consultant and founder of Kenya Advisory Limited, and my dearest friend, Rosalind Kenya, a Ghanaian otherwise resident in the UK. Rosalind's vision is to see deep and inclusive economic and social development that brings real and sustainable benefit to all citizens of countries on the African continent. And for this reason, I thought that we would kickstart this uh, series by getting insights from her on citizen equity participation policies, specifically in the mining industry. Rosalind, my dear friend, welcome to the Sheila Kam Extractive Podcast. Dear Sheila, thank you very much for inviting me to um, share my insights as they may be on, um, on this very important topic, actually. Um, so thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's a great pleasure. So let's start with the basics. What, in your understanding, do we mean by the notion of citizen equity participation? Well, Sheila, um, as I'm sure you know, there's often confusion when it comes to the discussion of citizen participation as a concept um, and issues of local content. And sometimes the two are conflated. Um, different countries have made laws and policies to provide for local content where citizens can be employed, provide services, or get a direct benefit from the sector, whether it be mining or oil and gas. However, what many countries have not done is to actually increase citizen participation. So citizen participation is, is more than local content clauses. It actually involves processes that provide individuals in a country or in a particular community that is impacted by operations with an opportunity to influence public decisions that affect them. So the definition can uh, be further extended to include processes in which ordinary people take part, whether on a voluntary or obligatory basis, whether acting alone or as a group with the goal of influencing a decision involving significant choices that affect them. So ultimately, citizen participation involves a wide range of act activities and systems. And I, I come again to this important point to ensure that the views of an individual are included in decision-making processes. So the term citizen participation involves two important items, the citizens and participation. And uh, the term is often used to suggest the focus should be on members of the community who have no formal source of power, except maybe their majority numbers, and also focus on the exercise of power by those at a lower level of the community. That is the power relationship between the led and the leaders and making decisions involving a significant number of community member, uh, members. So if very much in simple terms, uh, citizen participation involves power relations between members of a community and their leaders and the ability of that community to have a say in decisions and activities that um, affect them. Um, so I hope that's a, a, a sort of start off summary of, of the concept, if that's okay. Yes, it is indeed, because what you've done is you have uh, disaggregated issues for us to be able to uh, see the component parts mm -hmm. uh, at conceptual uh, level. And I think that is helpful. I, I find it particularly helpful that you speak uh, one 
of uh, the power dynamic mm -hmm. and two uh, of the disproportionate level of power and access between those who lead and those who mm -hmm. uh, are the led. Because yes. I think in some cases, as a matter of fact, uh, citizen participation is called empowerment because yes. it is presumably because of the recognition of this disparity. Mm -hmm. But I also like that you uh, make a distinction between types of participation, mm -hmm. uh, one being through local content and supply mm -hmm. and one through exercise of one's voice and mm -hmm. the right to be heard and the right to be at the mm -hmm. table. Mm -hmm. And for that matter, uh, some kind of investment and yes. participation through equity. And I think uh, often people bundle this up and, and yes. confuse. So yes, I yes. think I think we've done well. L let me uh, shift because you've spoken of, of the lead and the, the, the leaders. Mm -hmm. Of course, in the concept of mining policy and decisions on natural resources. The leaders are presumably the policy makers mm -hmm. from a citizen perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, from an investment perspective, these are the companies that put money in the projects. And then of course, we, we also have the citizens themselves. Mm -hmm. And I wanted you to give us a sense of how you think when we look at equity as a mm -hmm. form of participation, What's the difference between equity through the state mm -hmm. and equity through these individuals that you see? What, how should we see those in, in, the, in, in terms of how they differ? Okay. Well, um, you know, I'll, just, I'll just go back to start off with equity participation, you know, from, uh, from a citizen point of view. So this is um, where we have, say, communities who are... Um, I, I would call hosting um, mining operations because I know you're talking about you're talking about mining. As you know, Sheila, I have spent time both in the mining and more lately in the oil and gas industry. So the the, the two are have have a lot of similarities. But with equity participation, this is where communities who are hosting the operations should be afforded some economic rights and investment opportunities, and it could mean in its most ideal state that communities become partial owners and you use the word empowerment and this is right and this empowers them to um, participate in the project decision making and share in gains and losses flowing from the project and this is where sometimes I believe that we forget that with the equity participation it is not just about the gains I think a lot of citizens just think about the gain but if you're going to actually have equity participation in the first form then you'll be sharing in both the losses and the gain flowing um, uh, uh, from from the from the process um when it comes to and and you know the way this is this is seen and I, and Sheila you and I both know from our previous um, uh, working together that we we've heard about benefit agreements very popular particularly in places like like Canada where for example majority at the end of the day majority equity indigenous people um, have a have an actual share in 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 the project the community would lead with uh, projects secure financing and helps to develop pro uh, projects. That is the truest form of citizen um, equity participation. How does it differ from uh, uh, the state, state equity? This is where government's equity rule in the sector is one of the nationalistic measures that is implemented in order to ensure greater control and management 
of a country's mineral resources. And many countries seek to do this through state-owned companies um, uh, or an ownership interest or state equity in projects in order to maintain control over the technical and commercial elements of oil and gas or mineral extraction. Um, and in, in some countries, say like Brazil, Chile, or Norway, effective state-owned companies have developed strong commercial capabilities and helped to manage um, these extractive projects according to the goals of the country and the interests of citizens. So there's been a lot more successful in the breadth of benefit um, to the country. In other cases, particularly in where the, in the early years of existence, state-owned enterprises, say in countries like my own Ghana or other African countries like uh, Angola, have played a more limited role, um, um, often as uh, minority partners to multinational enterprises. And there are all sorts of models of, of state ownership. Um, to be honest, I, I, I know a bit better in the petroleum sector, um, and so we have, uh, for example, somewhere like in Saudi Arabia or Morocco, where the state enterprise has monopoly over exploration and production, and the role of private companies might be limited to being a service provider, for example. Um, we, we have cases where the state-owned enterprise is a, a concessionaire and can choose the private companies that it wants to cooperate with in projects, or the entity is given a guaranteed ownership stake uh, um, or role in the project, um, but uh, another government body, say the ministry, picks the private partners to participate in the project, and so on and so forth. So there are different ways of, of, of cutting, of, of, of slicing the cake, I would say. But basically, the different one is that it's citizens that are actively participating as shareholders, and the other is where the state is participating as a shareholder. Mm. Uh, I'm uh, because. Uh... In my experience, whether it is oil and uh, gas or minerals, uh, state equity participation is more prevalent. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm going to follow up on, on those discussions because you've named Chile, and I presume uh, in the mining industry in Chile, you'd be mm -hmm. referring to the giant Codelco, mm -hmm. uh, which is the, the uh, copper mining company. Yes. And in in uh, Norway, you'd be referring to uh, Econox. Uh, which that is was, now private, which should be started which oil, is, but is now... Yeah. Exactly, which is... Yeah. But, but the state still has a big uh, mm -hmm. share mm -hmm. uh, and, and, mm -hmm. and, and so forth. So, uh, and then, of course, in places like uh, Algeria, we have the, the giant uh, gas corporation. And in Morocco, mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. that matter, we have the giant... Uh, phosphate uh, mm -hmm. producers. Yeah. So, so the, the, and you are right, there are different models. In mm -hmm. some cases, the state, like uh, traditionally in Saudi Arabia, Aramco yeah. Yeah. Uh, was basically exactly. run like yes. a, a family corporation benefiting, uh, you know, the state. And, and now they too are thinking of, uh, uh, you know, listing. So the real question I wanted to ask is, when we look at uh, these models, mm -hmm. uh, what do you think makes some models for state-owned equity participation more successful than others? <laughs> when you reflect on these various models, like Norway, where initially it was a wholly owned company and now, and with, with basically the parliament having control and not the ruling party and with the people of Norway having full view of how the company of France now is gone listed and is a different kind of animal. You know, where were you think 
of potential uh, options for African governments wanting to follow this path. Where do you think lies the likely solution for, or the likely pathway for success? Sheila, I have to admit that that is a very difficult question because it's um, the, the success of some of these um, companies like the Equinos of this world or Ramco, a lot of it is historical, you know, it's, it's historical and it's political, you know, it was, uh, you know, at the time um, they, they were set up to achieve a particular objective and purpose, which I think has changed over the decades, you know, so if you if you ask me right now, um, you know how can a, a say an African a country because that's what we are focused on successfully set up an entity um, for this state equity? I mean, the one I know best, of course, is, uh, is is GNPC in Ghana. So that's the Ghana National Petroleum Corporation. Okay, that is an entity on its own, and I don't know whether you'd have seen recently is wanting to take on more and uh, more of a role or as an operator in one particular field um you know sometimes i i sort of wonder is that the role of government you know I, i'm one of these people who says is that the role of government i uh, is uh somebody will say where our natural resources are such strategic resources that government needs to have that sort of level of of control uh, through a state-owned company. But I think why those other companies have been successful, if we can call it that, is that there was good leadership. There was a clear objective um, for why they were set up. There was, I believe, strong leadership and strong governance. And I believe that the monies that were then, um, uh, the revenues that then came to those entities were invested in other parts of the economy. And I, I think about Norway in particular at this day, which built up the economy. So it wasn't like all this, it, it wasn't like equity or citizen participation in the oil and gas industry, but it was making sure that revenues were, um, uh, were acquired, which benefited the country as a whole. And I think that should be the aim if the state is going to participate in this way, that yes, there should be an entity, but for it to be successful, it must have the financial muscle and it must have the technical know-how and the commercial expertise. I think this idea of um, being able to participate in such complex um, sectors like the mining and oil and gas sectors without those three and more capabilities will not lead to success. So it's almost like the state entity needs to think as a private business would think. Uh, in order to become a successful business. So, you know, it, it's a bit of a, a difficult question, but I think we can't necessarily fall back on why the previous companies have been successful because they were came up in a particular era, particular history, particular politics. But what we need now, if the state is going to participate, is in entities that are acting like modern companies, in my view. And then when the revenue is generated, for the policies to be such that they are being invested in the economy as a whole, because we both know that the extractive industries, less so mining, but particularly oil and gas, is not that people uh, intensive. So you do need to invest in other sectors of the economy that really would be to benefit your citizenry as a whole. Mm. So you, you've um, uh, said something which I think is important, which is that there has to be a clear purpose. My sense is that on the African continent, 
the acquisition of equity by the state is mm -hmm. almost a political statement mm -hmm. rather than a, an investment decision. And, and, and if we start off by simply wanting to have equity in these projects because it is politically the right thing to do, my sense is that we're off to a bad start. Mm -hmm. uh, because that kind of objective is not going to allow you to do the kind of commercial mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. and, and, and does not endear you with the right commercial mindset necessary mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. result in the likes of uh, Equinox or Saudi Aramco or Chile's Codelco. Mm -hmm. On the contrary, what you are going to end up with, uh, if truth be said, is the likes of Angola where a, mm -hmm. a national corporation de facto becomes a, a, pub, a, a, a family asset uh, just because that family has access to political power. Mm -hmm. But if mm -hmm. there's a clear sense of why we are doing this, then we have a pathway and we have tools to measure and we will resource ourselves to get there. Mm -hmm. and, and my sense is that that is where the problem is. But I, I want to follow through on a very important uh, question you, you, you raised, but didn't uh, take it to its logical conclusion, which is this, that one, when we think of equity participation, we think only of the potential rewards and mm -hmm. benefits, mm -hmm. but we mm -hmm. don't contemplate mm -hmm. the risk. Mm -hmm. Isn't one of the strongest arguments for saying to governments, uh, do not undertake commercial risk. It, doesn't that come out of the understanding of just how risky it is to take public resources, put them in the commercial environment and risk revenue that would otherwise be looking after citizens. Isn't this the strongest argument for uh, throwing caution to the wind or be it leaving the field open for those who have the appetite for risk? <laughs> A political minefield, I'll say Sheila here. Um, you know, this is why I say the reason why a country wants to have an entity or set up an entity that takes that sort of, um, that participates in that way needs to be very clear. And, you know, we risk is everywhere. Risk is in all our lives. And yes, of course, when it comes to the public purse, one has to be even um, more careful. But I think the important thing is to be aware of the risk and then to make sure that one takes steps to manage the risk. I, I don't think that the mere fact that you could lose out should stop you from, um, uh, you know, should stop any government necessarily. Let me say that I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> for want of a better phrase, passionate about uh, the state participating in these um, uh, 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 very risky ventures, particularly not now, because there are other ways that the state can make money from it. But say, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a politician and politicians maybe know best what is best for the country. And that is why they choose that course of career. But I would say that the important thing is to understand the risks and to make sure that there are there are enough hedges, et cetera, to manage and mitigate that risk. Um, you know, I mean, th there are cases where, yes, a, a company has, uh, you know, uh, where equity is given as a carry 
to the national state company. So they're actually not really investing anything as far as I'm, I, I understand it in that business, but they are getting um, the benefit. Obviously, they will budget in the year for making X amount from the revenues they get. And if that revenue doesn't come through, then that's a matter of adjusting your budget. Then they also take their taxes, the royalties and, and other issues. So in a way, it is that equity participation and the uh, revenue that comes from it is additional income that the, the country might not necessarily get if the state entity wasn't a partner in the venture. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. Um, you might, and it might result in, for example, higher taxes um, uh, 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 for, the, for the private sector partners or other means of making up that money. So I, I don't think in terms of the state, the risk on its own should be, should be off-putting, but one of the best ways, I would say, of really managing the risk is understanding the business. And that's why I talked about, you know, having some financial muscle, definitely technical um, ability and that commercial expertise. I mean, if you're going to get into business, you need to think like a business. You can't use... Um, politics in its purest form to run a business let me you know and that's putting aside of course corporate politics so i think for me that that's what i'll say that you can be aware of the risk but so long as you know how you're going to best manage the risk and so long as you have a clear objective about why you're going to um participate in equity in something as um adventurous as as these sectors then you know you put in place the the right policies and and the right frameworks and and you know and make sure that at the end of the day the objective at, at the end of the day should be that your citizens as a whole benefit from this resource and if it's anything less and you're not achieving that objective then yeah i don't agree i don't think you should do it because that's what a state is for is to look after its people you know mm, so true yeah so you 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 make a quite rightly clear distinction between uh commercial uh, objectives and goals mm -hmm. and outcomes and and uh, versus political mm -hmm. yet it, uh, when you look at the custodianship of uh, mineral oil and gas resources mm -hmm. and the fact that they are vested in politicians it, it's almost difficult to separate and and some people argue that actually these policies if you look at uh, uh, whether it's state equity, it's just creating jobs for the boys. Uh, mm -hmm. And that if you look at citizen equity, it's just rewarding, uh, you know, party loyalists. So how do we make sure that these policies aren't a pathway to benefit a few? To your point that in the end, uh, mm -hmm. whatever the pathway, the outcome might be, the citizens <laughs> are better off. Well, uh, um, you know, definitely, uh, the, the risk of these kind of equity requirements is that they can, as you said, introduce an opportunity for rent seeking amongst um, certain, you know, the elite, some politicians, and therefore actually represent a substantial cost, not just to the country, but also to say the mining firms without actually providing any uh, long-term benefit for the citizens. Um, and I think um, if, if we're, it, it comes back to the point that if, uh, say state-owned companies are not effectively staffed or supervised. Um, they can, for example, slow a project's development, decrease the revenue accruing to the state, and also lead to corruption. Um, the way, you know, Sheila, we, we, we know that the way 
um, these policies can be seen to benefit the many and not a few. It's about leadership and good governance, right from the top. It's about the state leadership and good governance. It's about leadership and good governance in these entities. So without that, I mean, you know, we can talk about all sorts of measures and all sorts of uh, uh, methods of ensuring that these are not pathways for the elite and politicians to enrich themselves. But the truth is that without that sort of leadership, integrity of leadership, purposeful leadership, leadership, state leadership that does what state leadership is supposed to do, that is care about its citizens and make its citizens number one. You know, one of the things, um, I, I, and I talk about Africa and here is that, We've forgotten, I think, that when it comes to leadership at a state and a political level, it's actually the servant leader. You know, you are a leader who's serving your people. That is why you've been put there. It's the people who have appointed you in a place because they believe that you will do what is best for them. And what is best for them covers all these areas. So if we got leaders who thought like that, and if we have leaders who think like that, then I think we will find that already everything that is done will be to ensure that it is for the benefit of the people of a, you know, people of a whole, that is broad, is deep, and that not a, just a few will benefit. But at the moment, I, 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 I hate to say that it's not so much, you know, the, the policies are, I think you said something about being vested in politicians. No, the resources are vested in the state and, or in the, in the country, um, which includes the citizens. And the citizens have appointed somebody to be caretaker and do what is best for them. It is when this doesn't happen. And when, unfortunately, maybe some of our leaders believe that once I've been appointed, it's more of a monarchy than a servant leadership you know, and then you treat the assets of the country as if they were your own personal wealth. And I think that's where we have a, we have a problem. So for me, the answer is about leadership and good governance, as simple mm. as that. Sure, sure. I think you did, you did well to uh, make a more nuanced definition of the role of politicians. They are caretakers rather than uh, the resources being vested in them. They, they belong to the state and they are just transitional caretakers changing uh, depending on which party is involved. Mm -hmm. But I mean, we have uh, been careful to try and balance, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the picture, but, but we've erred on the side of being cynical. Um, if, you, if we take mm -hmm. a more positive view mm -hmm. of citizen equity participation, mm -hmm. these laws, aren't they a very helpful and potentially useful way of lowering entry barriers for citizens wanting to enter into uh, these sectors that have hitherto been the exclusive reserve of uh, large foreign multinationals? Um, yes, I mean, <laughs> you know, I think my thing is that what does one mean by lowering entry barriers? Because so the law says to a company, um, you must, you know, you're coming in and you must give 5% of, of, of the projects, uh, or, you know, you, you must have a 5% shareholding partner who's a citizen. Fine. So you do. The point is that you have given, you have opened the door. To go into that door, she like come back again to the things that any business would need. You need money. You need um, commercial ability, 
uh, you need to understand what the business is about. So it has opened the door, but I don't necessarily mean think that it has lowered the barrier. Because if you really want to participate, if you really want to have proper equity participation, then like with, you know, if I come into a JV with you, uh, Sheila, and, you know, we have a business, I'm coming in as much of an equal partner as I can possibly be. If I don't have the knowledge and the skills, I will bring alongside myself people who do so that I can be, I can have an equal voice at the table or at least build up to an equal voice. And my concern is that the policies give a right, but I'm not sure that that necessarily um, also comes with the responsibility of what that right means of, of citizens preparing themselves to not immediately, but gradually have an equal voice at the table. I mean, I've seen where, particularly in local content, where local companies have really taken advantage and really built themselves up, but that's taken a lot of sweat, blood and tears. You know, it hasn't just been, um, yes, the laws were there, but I believe some of those companies that have been successful would could have been successful doing what they they have done now to become um, acceptable suppliers to some of these big entities, you know. So I think we need to be very careful that, yes, the policies, you know, open a door. I don't know that they lower the barrier because there's a lot more one needs to have in order to jump over the barrier. And I think that's what mm. sometimes not talked about enough. What local companies, you know, supporting local companies in a way that they can really have a substantive voice at the table, not just be, if they're equity participants, not struggle to um, acquire financing. It's amazing to me that, you know, let's say there's a international company that comes into an African country and there is a law or a regulation or a policy that they must have a, a, a local company as a partner. That company, the international company will go out to the markets because it's got the history, because it's got, you know, all that else it's got and be able to raise funds. The African um, partner to be finds it extremely difficult to raise the money based on the collateral of possibly that same project because it doesn't have the history, because it doesn't have, you know, doesn't have the, the contacts and connections with the markets that it needs. So I feel if the government is saying we are putting in place this policy, then the government that is putting in place this policy seemingly to lower barrier, open door, must also make sure that it is helping the citizens who want to participate to participate effectively. But I feel the policies are put in place sometimes and then the citizens are less to fend for themselves or there's an expectation on the company who has been told you must marry this person. I mean, you don't necessarily have a choice of who you're going to marry, but you must marry this person and now make sure you provide for them so that they can be equal partners. And, you know, companies might do that. You don't want companies to feel forced to do that. You need companies to want to be incentivized to have local partners. And I think that's where we haven't yet got it. What do we do to, have inter to make international companies incentivized to have local partners? I think that's a question that we really need to look at a lot more. Yeah, so, so that takes me actually nicely into the next question because I was gonna uh, assume morally, technically, financially, that all the elements are in place and that citizens can be effective. Uh, your comment uh, leads very directly to an important consideration, which is the notion of value proposition. Yes, yes. From the rest of the country, these are national resources. A foreign mm -hmm. investor and a couple of mm -hmm. citizens or the state mm -hmm. for that matter 
are joint partners in developing mm -hmm. it. But really, there are, are tenants. This is somebody's property mm -hmm. and the state is the landlord. Mm -hmm. So th the question I wanted us to address is, what then uh, should be the value proposition by citizens who have this opportunity to the rest of the country in order to morally and economically justify this opportunity? Sorry, Dami Jessica, you mean those citizens who have an opportunity to participate, having and and an, in a way they have it, they have all that is required to be shareholders or equity participants in this. Is that who you're talking about? That is who I'm talking about. I'm saying they now are in a position of privilege, uh, of access to this resource as a, mm -hmm. uh, a vehicle for investment and potentially self-enrichment. The yes. expectation is that as with foreign investors and, and in the notion yes. of uh, license to operate, they too must now deliver to the rest of the citizens. Yes. And, I'm, and they too must bring to the table some value in the joint uh, or partnership space. What, what does that value look like from this <laughs> yeah. point of view of the rest of the citizens and from the point of view of the foreign investor? Well, let, let me start off. If we're, if we're talking about a, an entity, a group of people who have decided to take, because let's also remember that if they are doing this properly, Sheila, this uh, uh, local or national entity that is participating is, is taking a risk. Okay, so they are coming and you remember I was talking about you benefit or you can lose out. So they have decided that they're coming into this. There is no, um, fr from, from what I understand or what I've seen, even though the uh, law says you must have a 5% partner, it doesn't say that that partner should not uh, take the risk. So the person is taking the risk. So not everybody, um, not every citizen, even if that opportunity was uh, available, could, could make could make use of it. So let's remember that, like with any other business, these are people, and this is presuming, Sheila, that these are not people who have some added benefit of, say, political connections or, you know, something that is unfair. Let's say there's a level playing field. I've decided I want to participate in this business. I'm going to go out and do all the hard work that I need to do to be able to participate in this. I'm a business person. Yes, it is a national resource. But as you rightly say, Sheila, um, whether it's an international company, whether it's a local company, you're a contractor to the state. The state has given you um, a, a contract to um, uh, develop and produce uh, these resources in order to generate income. And the state is then saying, and uh, for that, you know, yes, this is your benefit, because remember that you are going to put in a lot of money and invest a lot of money, whether you're international or local, you'll be investing, you have to raise funds and invest. So you get that investment and you get a return on your investment. That is what you get. And in, in addition to that, you will give me you know, uh, you know, I'll make money as a state from it. And as I say, it is that amount of money that is then supposedly used for the benefit of the country. Having said that, yes, um, there are certain, I guess we, we call it license to operate because of the nature of the, of the sector. There are certain um, corporate responsibilities, uh, responsibilities as a corporate citizen, whether you're international or local that are required of you. So I believe that, um, I guess, what do they say? The greater the, um, the, greater the privilege, the, the higher the responsibility. I guess you'll be more responsible because you might have uh, access to um, 
for example, employing more people, that's an important thing. You know, I always think, you know, employing more people, you might be able to train more people, uh, contribute to making sure that the education system of the country is producing people that can also feed into the sector and you could contribute to that. So there are a lot of things that you can do as a corporate citizen. I don't think it's merely the fact that you are in this particular um, sector and that's the national resource after all you it's almost like you're being paid to do a particular job you've invested your money you're getting a return on it and you're being paid to do a particular job and the country is also benefiting from it but the other um, value proposition that i think citizen shareholders do bring to the table is you know international companies coming to a country are visitors they need to understand the country and there are lots of amazing um, companies that could give you the due diligence information, country risk reports, et cetera, et cetera. But Sheila, as we know, um, it, it, it doesn't matter that you have the actual data today of what's happening in a country, understanding, let's say, the political and social and economic context of the country, which is very important for any business. It is how that is interpreted and the nuances, the everyday nuances of that, um, of, of that information. So it, it doesn't matter that you have that hard data that is supplied by these amazing organizations. It's how you interpret that information and the nuances of that information. And that is usually best done by citizens. And what better citizen than one who has skin in the game with you to really appreciate where you are coming from where um, other parties or other influencers and people who can impact your project in the country are coming from and act as a bridge and as a mediator. So I think that is something very important that citizen shareholders bring. That sometimes is not given a value to, it's taken for granted that that's what you'll do. But that makes a lot of difference to uh, mitigating some risk of the project and actually also creating value for the project. So, I, you know, I think in, in terms of what I consider as the responsibilities of corporate citizens. And that there is that additional value of really supporting the business to understand um, the environment in which it is operating. Mm. I think in, uh, you, you are right to recognize the somewhat unique nature of uh, mineral oil and gas projects and the vested interest mm -hmm. that average citizens have Mm -hmm. in the development of these resources, that makes the contribution potentially of citizens who either are investors and partners with foreign entities, or for that matter, like you and I, mm -hmm. working for a foreign entity in mm -hmm. our own uh, countries have mm -hmm. and can play as a positive force if they understand things and do the right thing mm -hmm. for both the company and, 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 and the country. Uh, this is, I, I think that this is a distinct sweet spot mm -hmm. that is often not uh, properly utilized. I think uh, some of uh, our regional colleagues see themselves as just another job. But mm -hmm. my genuine sense is that a citizen working in their own country for an extractive company has an unwritten job description. Mm -hmm. That requires them to almost go beyond the call of duty with a view primarily to your point, being a bridge builder mm -hmm. and minimally translating the national sentiment mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. to uh, the foreign investors who often, even when they mean to do the right thing, can misread the national mm -hmm. sentiment yes. leading to 
phenomenally unintended consequences. Yes. So, 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 so that I think is a potentially powerful value proposition if properly nuanced and uh, you know uh, diligently carried out. L let me ask a, a question. So this notion of governments facilitating citizen participation, uh, do we risk creating an entitlement mentality? Why should there even be a law? Why shouldn't we just leave it mm -hmm. and let people fend for themselves and, and, and uh, uh, outperform or join partner with their mm -hmm. international peers? <laughs> There is a risk, definitely, of an entitlement mentality. But, you know, as I said before, life is full of risk. And because there is a risk doesn't mean that you don't take a particular course of action. Um, you know, I think this thing about the laws, whether it's the laws of uh, um, citizen participation or in, in whatever form, whether it's equity or it's local content, Possibly, I mean, I haven't looked into the history of it, and I think it'd be very interesting to do a history of why these laws came about. Because, you know, I believe that before there was the law, there was this notion of let's see how things go and maybe people would do what is right. Because you know, I know for a fact that there were times when, particularly on the employment side, you would say to uh, someone, well, you kind of need to start employing citizens. And they will say to you, oh, it takes 20 years in order for a person to qualify for this rule. 10 years later, literally, you'll be saying, you kind of, you know, th th this person has been here for 10 years. That 20 year goal never shifts. It's always, it takes 20 years or it takes, you know. So I think somehow or other, it has been, forced because of the circumstances and so there was there was a good reason for it you know there was a good reason for it it was to encourage what was should be natural that if you if you are an international company say coming into a country and this 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 goes either way if you if you're going into a country the natural thing is that in due course you more and more of the people from within that country would be participating in what you're doing whether it's with equity whether it's employment whether it's suppliers or whatnot but when after a long period of time, it seems that nothing is shifting and there's a still, still a, a fall back to the default position of it is easier for us to bring in somebody that we've known, whether it's from the Aberdeens or the Houstons or wherever it is of this world, then that's when I think this issue about the law comes in to try and um, I would say cause the natural to happen maybe not so naturally but that can be abused and that's where the risk is so I, mm. so again I, I go back to the fact that one needs to always look at the objective of why this is in place and once the objective is clear and the objective is a positive and good objective in that you know we have a natural resource yes we could we could decide that we are a country that just wants to sit on our laurels and let someone come in and and develop and have all the knowledge and just give us the money and we use it for whatever we want to use it for or we could decide no we have a natural resource um it, it, there is money to be made from it if we can invest in uh, developing and producing it and that comes about by us as citizens knowing more about it 
And so we want both to proactively build up our citizens to be able to do that independently of anyone else. But also we'll say that for those of you coming to the country and making good money from this resource, support us in doing that. I think that's a, a laudable um, reason. The how you do it is what's important, the how you do it. Mm. And I think this is where sometimes the entitlement mentality can become, a, because I think also as citizens, we also should not feel that we are necessarily entitled to this, in, 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 and I'm putting inverted commas in that. Yes, we are entitled as citizens of a country to benefit from our resources and everything else that the good Lord gives our country, but with that also comes work. And I think when we minus the fact that we need to put some effort in, we need to put money in, we need to be doing something ourselves to be able to benefit and think, well, just because I'm Ghanaian, just because I'm from Botswana, just because I'm you know, from Angola, I'm therefore entitled, then there, there becomes a problem because that's when you have the entitlement or elite or corruption and all that coming in. So I, you know, for me, I, I see there's a balance to be had. I believe that the, the, the original intent behind these laws and regulations was not a bad one because of what had happened and because of what, what was happening in, in, in the past. And there was a need to, you know, just cause the natural to happen. Um, but yes, it can be abused. And that's what we need to, 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 look, to look at and, and, and be aware of. So we, we've spoken from the perspective of different uh, stakeholders. Mm -hmm. uh, we've, we've looked at the citizens, we've looked at the state, we've looked at the communities. What we haven't done is uh, look at this phenomenon from the perspective of investors. And, and now you have been an executive in the mining and oil and gas uh, corporations, and now you are a non-executive director of corporations and giving advice to mm -hmm. uh, investors. As a parting shot, I wanted you to give us a sense of how private investors view these type of policies uh, and, and, and whether or not there is the sense that governments perpetually ask too much of uh, investors. You know, I think, um, you know, I, I, I have to say, I think I have been quite fortunate and maybe you have also in that we we have both worked in companies where you know we're not saying oh wow they've run and embraced this but they have seen the reason for it and and actually seen the benefit and i i say benefit not just in some soft wishy-washy but the commercial benefit of um you know, having citizens participate in the business. And these are companies that have understood their roles as contractor to the company. They've understood, to the country. They've understood their roles as, uh, they've, under, they've understood that th this natural resource is important to the country. And almost like it's actually a privilege that we are allowed in to be able to make money or money from it and share in it. So there has been, a, a bit more, I think, in the companies that I have worked for, a bit more of, so let me add this, the companies that I have worked for when I worked for them, uh, because I, I don't necessarily know what's afterwards, but there's been a bit more of trying to see whether we can come to a win-win situation. Um, I think the difficulty is, is, is this, because at the end of the day, um, these companies are also looking at shareholders who are not, you know, the, the market that is lending money or investing in them in order to get a return. And interestingly, shareholders want a return and they want as good as a return as ever. So the companies are sort of sometimes caught in between a rock and a hard place of 
um, you know, the country wants us to um, go down a particular route of, uh, you know, involving more citizens. It comes with a particular cost at the beginning, as you're trying to make sure proper systems and processes are in place. You've got the right trained people, so it's a lot. It's a little bit more costly than sort of just calling on your old friend who you knows knows how to operate the business you want to operate, and you bring him in and or or her in, and there's no issue. So there's a bit of a cost there, and you're thinking about that cost, what it will be compared to the and how it will impact the return on investment that you are needing to give to your shareholders because you need to please them so they continue to invest in you and your banks and all that sort of thing. So there's always that balance. But I think on, on the whole, um, a, a lot of companies, um, if, they are, if they put their minds to it, find that balance. I think, you know, I always say, particularly in the um, natural resource sector that we know, I don't think you'll get uh, a company and a, 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 a a, a government or a state walking hand in hand down a sunset beach, singing love songs to each other with the sun setting in the background. There'll always be tensions and there'll always be challenges. It's healthy as far as I'm concerned. It's how that is managed. And it's, 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 it's the issue about respecting each other. And, and sometimes it's as simple as that. It's about the company respecting the country it's in and as, as much as possible, the people who the country has chosen to, to, to govern them. And also the, the country also respecting the fact that somebody is coming in, they are looking for the money, they are taking the risk of that uh, money that they are looking for to come and invest in. And I think if we could come to that place of really understand that we are each bringing something to the table, respecting each other, I think there's a solution to be had here because, you know, both of us, Sheila, have benefited from the fact that international companies have operated in, in, in countries that we belong to and that we've been part of that process. I mean, we've benefited immensely from it. And if we hadn't had those opportunities, you know, I, for one, would not be where I am today, running my own business, able to give advice to other businesses that are looking to invest in Africa. It's come from that experience and that knowledge that was, uh, knowledge that was acquired from that. Um, it, it also took on both our parts. I have to say a lot of hard work on us. There was no sense of we're entitled to this. Yes, we were, the door was opened. We went through and we made sure that we worked hard to earn our place at the table. And I think that's something that I would say, you know, to my African brothers and sisters that, yes, we're entitled because we are citizens, but we are not necessarily entitled to succeed just because we are citizens. And there's something that we should uh, do for ourselves too when we have a place at the table. That's fantastic. I, I like the way you put it. There's a difference between entitled to an opportunity mm. versus entitled to uh, benefit perpetually without applying yourself. Yeah. And, 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 and I think to the extent that companies give us these opportunities and we make beneficial use of them, mm -hmm. that I think is the most basic of our moral uh, obligations. Thank you. Well, Rosalind, my friend, thank you very much for joining the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. It was wonderful having you.